Thank you, Devin. This morning we continue our series in the book of Genesis, Beginnings, and as we think of all the things that we experience or see in life now, we recognize that uh, it all started some place and somewhere and at some time, and there's nothing really new under the sun. The things we struggle with now are the things that people have always struggled with. And as we uh, look in the Word this morning, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We pray as we look in your word that you might speak into our lives and we might understand truth in a greater way. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to see this uh, powerful section in God's word. And, and really, the, uh, the challenge here is that we have a lot to learn or a lot to learn. A little play on words there because we, we're looking at the, at the person name a lot. If you ever had that said to you before, you've got a lot to learn. I remember a few times where my whole name was used, Michael Ray Johnson, and when uh, maybe I wasn't doing what I should have been doing or I should have known better, and the lot-to-learn message was sent to me. Well, that's, uh, that's true for all of us, isn't it? In fact, if we ever get to the place where we don't need to learn anything, then our time on this earth is now finished, all right? Uh, there's so much to learn. In fact, even as you look at God's Word... You might even be familiar with a passage, but if you reread it, relook at it, you'll see, again, there's some things to learn or at least to relearn or at least to more fully apply. And so that's what we're going to try to see today. And of course, I would say this very plainly for all of us. There's two ways to learn in this life. You can learn from your own mistakes or you can learn from other people's mistakes. It's a lot less painful if you learn from other people's mistakes rather than your own. But I want to talk about a particular individual that it's kind of a confusing person in the scriptures because you, you kind of wonder, well, what's going on with this individual? What's going on with this man? And this man's name is Lot, and you're wondering, uh, does he really know God? Is he uh, one of his followers, or is he just kind of around people who know God, but he doesn't know God at all? And sometimes we, we say that about people who go to church as well, and we wonder, well, why are those people living like they do? Can they really say they believe in God? Well, let's just be honest, and this has been true from the very beginning. When people are called into God's family, they are called out of the world, and when they're out of the world, they bring the world in there with them a little bit, all right? And we all come in with baggage, and God is not finished with changing us. So we should not be surprised when people in the Scriptures kind of fall by the wayside in terms of how they live, and we shouldn't be too surprised when people today live that way as well. And we need to understand that often what is done in in private will be known in public. In fact, all you have to do is be a general with the last name Petrinus, and you'll understand as well, all right, is that some good men have done some horrible things. And that is true in the Bible as well. But, and who was Lot? Um, the Scripture is pretty plain about who he was. He's described as a righteous man. In 2 Peter 2, 7, it says that the angels and the Lord delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Not only was a righteous man, he was a man who was tor- tormented by unrighteousness. Uh, in 2 Peter 2, 8, it says, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And if you're a person that gets sick about sin, then you're in the right place. But hopefully we, first of all, are sick about our own sin. It's easy to point our fingers at somebody else, but we ought to be sick about our own sin as well. But the thing I want to really focus on a lot this morning, he was a man who needed to learn some lessons. And if you're still a person who needs to learn some lessons, then let's continue on as we look at the experience of Lot in life. Now, some of you are well aware of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. 
And there came a point at time when God was prospering them both, particularly in Genesis chapter 13, is that there was a decision that had to be made. They had to decide whether they're going to the left or to the right. And Abraham says, it's your choice. Now, what Lot did is he, he chose like a businessman would, or maybe you even say should. He, he chose the more ritual and fertile land. Now, he went down there, however, without considering the cost or the difficulty it might be with the people that he was going to take into that land. It was he was headed now toward uh, kind of the Las Vegas, even worse of that day. But I was just thinking in this past week, if he had not chosen to go down in Sodom and Gomorrah, who would have? Abraham. You know, what would have happened then if he had chosen the more maybe wise decision for he and his family? Well, all I can say, just thinking about that, is that somehow Abraham would have had a uh, more um, profound walk with the Lord that he could have withstood the temptations of that day in Sodom. We need to recognize that we cannot always remove ourselves from the presence of sin. But we need to have a healthy evaluation of ourselves as how close to that fire can we get? There are certain things that might tempt other people more than he might tempt others. And Lot was that individual, should have known his own heart and should have chosen the other direction and then trusted Abraham could have gone down that path. Uh, They had to go one way or the other. Abraham went the other direction after Lot chose. But what happened is that progressively Lot got closer and closer to the fire. And the closer you get to the fire, eventually you're going to get what? You're going to get burnt. He, in Genesis 13, it says he, he pitched his tents outside of Sodom. And then it says he, later on, it says he pitched his tents close to Sodom. And then it was he was living in the gate of Sodom. And we're going to see today living in the gate of Sodom actually was a statement of, of being really involved in the whole life of what was going on in that particular city at that time. But let's look at some of the lessons we could learn. We're only picking out a few in this chapter, but uh, there are all kinds of things going on. This is a fast-moving, fast-paced chapter where much happens in the life of Lot and his family. Uh, What's the first thing we ought to learn? We ought to learn that we can influence the world, but but it really needs to be saved. Now, this is more like a social commentary in this passage. But let me just make a couple simple observations. In Genesis 19.1, it says this. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw that he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And this says in verses 2 and 3, he invited them into his home. But what I want to make here is that when it says he sat in the gate of Sodom, it really means he sat in the place of prominence or sat in the place where he had governing responsibilities. In fact, in Genesis 13, 9, the people of Sodom kind of uh, ridicule him, saying, you think that you are to judge us all the time? Many of those who write in this text believe that Lot had arisen to the place that he was a judge in the city. Now, we have just gone through an election, and in our nation, we have the ability to vote for people in positions of responsibility and leadership in our country. Sometimes you even vote for judges. Sometimes the judges are appointed by the people we elect. And we are rightfully so to be involved in that process as being good citizens in the, in the nation or country we live on this side of our citizenship in heaven. But I want to make this warning comment that possibly might have happened in the life of Lot. Lot saw the wickedness in his city. 
He saw that things weren't always the way God wanted them to be. Now, would you say we live in a nation where we can sometimes see the wickedness of our nations and everything is not exactly what we want them to be? Okay. Uh, some are more passionate about that than others, okay, particularly in response to what might have happened after the election. We ought to, we ought to be prayerfully concerned about that. We ought to be involved influencing uh, our government to go in a certain direction. But let's be crystal clear here. What needs to happen in our nation or any of the nations of the world is more than just being an influence to that which is good, but to recognize that what has to happen in the, the citizens of any nation is more than just incremental steps to being more good or righteous or honest, but to come to salvation. Lot had a limited influence in his day. Now, we can applaud him for taking that responsibility to be a judge or to be in the gate of Sodom. But he needed to recognize he was not going to be able to rescue that city. The only way a, a nation gets rescued is the hearts of its people are what? Are changed. And there's only one rescuer, and that's God himself. So we need to recognize that we can influence this world. We can be salt. But what has to happen more than anything else is that God's people need to be light. All of us are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.17 says why God sent his son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So now, after we've gone through all the political season of this last number of months, our job still remains the same. We are needed to praying for people in our relational world. We are to be giving the good news out to others so that they may be rescued from what we'll see is the judgment that is to come. So one lesson for Lot is, as he lived in that world, was an influence in that world, he needs to realize that he... He was not going to rescue that. Only God was going to rescue him. And it had come to the point in that time where only judgment was coming. That's kind of a political commentary on it. And, and just a statement. We ought to be concerned about the man who lives in the White House. But we ought to be more excited about the man who was on the cross. That's the challenge for God's people. To remember that God is still on the throne. But let's move on. What happens is these two men who are angels come to the the city of Sodom, they said, well, we're here to observe. And that's what God said in Genesis 18, to observe the wickedness of the land, to see if it had come to that point where judgment was to come. We won't live in your home. We'll live in the square, the open square of that of that particular place. Lot, knowing the condition of that city, said, no, 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 you must stay in my home. And rightfully so, because immediately what happens after that is sin going rampant. Look at verse four. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. So, so there was there was a parade that that just surrounded the home of Lot and, it, and his wife and his children. And, and they called to Lot and said to them, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally or or in the flesh or um, the idea of knowing there is knowing them sexually. Verse six. So let so Lot went out to them through the doorway and the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. 
See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. This is a PG-13 or an R-rated picture of what was happening there. A lot is so overwhelmed by the crowd that came out to, to seize these two men, and he might not have fully understand who they were, but somehow they, he knew they were from God, maybe didn't know they were actually angels from God, but he knew that he, his responsibility was to protect them. Now, at that point, I don't know what went on in his mind, but he tried a solution that was, at, at, well, in reality was, was futile, but in examination was horrific. He was going to sacrifice his two daughters, two young daughters, and give them out to be abused. That just shows how much he knew how wicked that place was because he knew it was going to happen, those men who wanted to know uh, these two angelic men in his place. And, And they said their response to this was stand back. Then they said this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a what? Judge, and that's where we think why he was in the gate of Sodom, that he was probably had a position of responsibility where he was given the, the ability to judge the affairs of men. And now I say, you can't judge this all the time. You can't always decide to, to try to tell us what to do. Now, we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near the uh, to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Now, just think about this for a moment. Their wickedness had got to such a degree that even when the angels did the miraculous and took the people who had sight and took away their sight, which is the opposite of what Jesus did, right? What Jesus did, it took the person who had no sight and gave him sight. They, in their blindness, still groped around to somehow find the door of this home in which they would ravish everyone who lived within. Now, what does that tell us? What's the lesson we need to learn? To a certain degree, it it speaks again to what the Bible says, that the heart within man is, is deceptively evil. And who can know it? That when we talk about for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, that that sin, wickedness, lives deep within the heart of every person. And and when it's lived out without any control, all hell can work, can be be released in a community and in a city. And, And really, it also speaks about what sin is. Sin is not only evil and destructive, but sin makes us its slave. In Romans 6, 19, it says this. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, spreading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now, we, we don't want to miss that point, is that Paul in Romans speaks about what was happening here in Sodom, not in the specific sin, but what happens in people's lives in which... We want to stop doing the things we know that are wrong, but we keep on doing them. And when we keep on doing the things we know that are wrong or not right or not healthy or not helpful, what are we? We are enslaved to those habits. And anyone who's ever tried to break a habit, 
Sometimes you break a habit for a, a period of time, but usually it comes back. And we recognize that we are often a slave to those things that have been ingrained deeply in our life. And that's why Paul in Romans 7 has said, but who will set me free from this wretchedness that I am? And then Paul goes on in Romans 8 and says, there's, there's only one place where there's no condemnation, and that's for those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit that lives within them. And so as we think about the lessons that Lot was beginning to learn, I'm... I'm when he sent out those, those two daughters, he thought, well, this will solve it. But he didn't realize how deep-seated the rebellion toward God was in the heart of man. And so what we need, we need to recognize that what we, what we need in this world is not better laws, but, but better people who are going to obey the laws. And that only comes from God. And we also need to recognize that any sin can be an enslaving sin. Now, we know in Romans and Genesis 19 that the sin here was a sin of homosexuality. It's in Sodom. And what came, has come from that is the act of homosexuality is also the act of, of sodomizing someone. But it's not only that sin that is destructive and evil. We as God's people should never be Label as homophobic. We're not afraid of any particular sin over another sin. But we are aware that sin enslaves people. In Romans chapter 1, which is a section in which Paul speaks plainly about this behavior, he goes on later and describes other sin that enslaves. And it's interesting what's on that list. One of that list is being disobedient to parents. One, also on that list is people who are proud. Also on that list are people who are unloving. Also on that list is people who are unmerciful. Also on that people are people who whisper or backbite or speak gossip in a negative way about other people. Have you had, ever known a person who was kind of destructive with their lips? And maybe that person, you look in the mirror... <laughs> That is not an easy sin to get away from. And so Lot began to learn that on a societal basis, as well as on a personal basis, that sin destroys and sin enslaves. Lesson three. One of the things that will cause us to run from sin is as we understand the consequences of sin. And let's read Genesis nineteen twelve through 14. Then the men said a lot after they put blindness on those who were going to ravish that home. Have, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city. Take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So... Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. So a warning comes is that judgment is going to happen because of the sin rampant in that Sodom area. And what was the response of his son-in-law? But to his son-in-laws, he seemed to be what? Joking. Now, that's a lesson that Lot had to learn 
and we can learn as well, is learn that the coming judgment of God has always seemed to some to simply be a bad joke. And why is that? Why is it that if if you talk about there's going to come a time when God is going to bring judgment on a people on a land that people just just don't believe that that could even possibly be true? Well, the reason back then is the same reason now is because they've never seen the judgment of God. Now, the reason is that is because God is gracious and merciful. There are the natural consequences of sin, and that's how God meets out his judgment most often now when we do things that are self-destructive, it becomes destructive in our own lives. When we do things that harm our family or harm our relationships, and that relationship gets fractured. When we do things that, that um, are dishonest, usually that dishonesty comes and surfaces and we reap the, the consequences of that. When we are unfaithful, in a relationship, then a person in a position of power, when that comes known, his position is now taken or he now gives it up because he cannot live that out in an honorable way. But as we think of the final judgment of God, most people think it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. You, you remember um, disciplining your children or your grandchildren, or maybe you're still in that role of, of being a uh, grandparent or a parent and of course, the grandparents have to give the, be given permission by the parents to be the p- discipline of the, ki- of the kids when they're over there. But you remember the, the, one of the favorite things to do is count to three? You know, you, you tell them something to do and say, okay, when I get to three, you know, something's going to happen. You know, you, one and two, and, and then you're, you kind of delay for that three th- because you don't want to do it. And they know you don't want to do it, and so they're going to wait you out. Now, often, often what happens, I've seen this in, in a number of families, They'll get to three, and even after they say three, the parent won't what? They won't do anything. Because, you know, it just breaks their heart to put some kind of consequence to the action of their child. And when that happens, of course, then the child thinks that they can do what? Anything. Anything at all. You know, they came, eventually there came a point in our family, I got I get tired of counting to three, and so I told my kids, I'm counting to one. <laughs> Because, you know, there was just that sense, you know, if you could delay it, somehow something wouldn't happen. And they had never seen the judgment of God. Also, probably with, with Lot, is that they had looked at his life and see how compromised his life was. And because his life was compromised, they really couldn't really listen to him and really believe what he was saying. Of course, we know that as well. When, when we hold some people to a different standard than our own, then it doesn't seem to be a pliable option that we would get a consequence when that person doesn't get a consequence himself. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, in Peter's day, writing the New Testament, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where, where's the promise of his coming? And particularly the coming of his judgment. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Since it's never happened in the past, it's not going to happen in the present or the future. This is just an old wives' tale. But there was going to be a day of reckoning in that land very soon. Lessons to be learned. We need to recognize that we are called of God's people to influence this world, but even more to help this world and the people in it get saved. We need to recognize that that sin is destructive and it's evil, but even more so it's enslaving. We need to understand that that, that there are going to be people in this world, when we talk about a judgment, 
this judgment is, it seems like a bad joke to them. How could a good God, loving God, ever bring consequences on a people that he created and died for? Judgment is coming. Fourthly, learn that God hates any sin of disobedience, even indifference. Interesting story what happens in terms of of when the son-in-laws decide to stay and then what happens to those who leave. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And and, and while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, the wife's hand, and, and the hands of the two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set out him outside the city. It's interesting. It's quite possible. He took them by his hand. Why do you think he, they, the angels took them by his hand? Because they were what? Resisting. They were still, well, one more thing. Can we wait a little bit longer? And so they, they just had to grab them and take them out. So it came to pass when they had brought them out that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Verse 18, then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. It is a it is not. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. As they were called to get as far away as possible from the land of Sodom, they wanted to compromise even there. Can we be just on the outskirts where there's some kind of civilization? The angels relent. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire. You ever heard about preaching with brimstone and fire? That's where it comes from. The, the, the judgment that was upon Sodom is God's consequences come upon a people and a land. And it's quite possible some, it could be a natural thing where volcanoes were erupting or earthquakes were, were, were firing off and, and God igniting them. Or it could be God just sending things down from the heaven above. Verse 25, so he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And then verse 26. See, God brought judgment on a people who were filled with the sin of sexually abusing people in that land. And God's hand came upon them because they were enslaved by it. And we sometimes can imagine, well, if God were to do that, where, where all hell was breaking loose in a city, that God's hand might come heavy upon them. But look, look who also is included in this, verse 26. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. What did Lot's wife do? As far as we know, she was innocent of all the sins of that city in terms of the overt sins. But as God was rescuing the family, what she did was simply turn back. Now, it's quite possible that it wasn't just a glance back. It was also maybe a few steps of retreat. Or or maybe it was a little more deceiving. As they were being rescued out of the land, she decided to go a little bit slower than the rest of the family. You ever had that where you're going on a hike and all of a sudden turn around and someone's like, I mean, you can't even see them. They're picking the flowers or they're distracted or 
Or maybe they don't want to go and they just sat down in the dirt and said, I'm not I'm not taking another step unless somebody carries me. But Lot's wife looked back and it was an indication of what was in her heart where she wanted to go back. Maybe she was like the rest of that city or maybe she was like some of her son-in-laws and the daughters who decided to follow the lead of their of their husbands. Where she didn't really believe this was going to happen and she felt she got too far away, she might never get to come back. Some have said that really every sin really is a sin of disbelief. Because we believe that particular point in time that what God has said doesn't really apply to us. Or really what God has said, it really isn't best. Or maybe maybe it's for somebody else, but it's really not for me. And, and so she turned. And whether it was an exact judgment of God from heaven or maybe it was if she had trailed too far behind, that when the judgment came, she was there when fire and brimstone erupted. And it's quite possible that pillars of that which turned later into salt fell upon her and she was entombed by the rock layers that came. If you know that part of the Middle East, they actually call some of the, the salt edifices Lot's wife. But what, 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 was, her, what was her sin? Her, her sin was, was much like the sin that's found and recorded for us in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is an interesting story where, where Jesus sends out disciples to, to share the good news with the surrounding cities. And the message is very simple. Just share the words about the hope of the Messiah. And he said, for, you know, for those who, who respond to the word, then stay there and preach the message. But in verse 14, he says, what, what you ought to do if, if they won't listen. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from the house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Now, that actually in that day had a pretty strong symbolic indictment. Now, if you really wanted to ridicule or mock a home or a city you were in when, when you left it you didn't want to take any part of that city with you. you you'd knock off the dust on your feet so that so they would know you don't even want to carry dirt with you that somehow you collected when you were in that place but he doesn't even stop here in terms of the indictment which was simply they won't listen to you now i think all of us here have experienced that you've ever talked to someone and you're talking but they're not they're not hearing they're not listening they're somewhere else. In fact, sometimes you can see that you're looking at them and I don't know what, what the eyes of their head just go wherever. And, you know, they're not connecting. That usually happens on Sunday mornings when I'm preaching to you. You're out there somewhere. I don't know where you are, but you're somewhere. All right. All right. Well, you know, that's what was happening. If, if they won't listen to you, then d- take the dust off your feet and go someplace else. Just the sin of not hearing, not listening. And then he says this. Amazing statement. Assuredly or truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You got to be kidding me here. This is the sin filled with homosexuality, filled with sexual abuse, filled with anarchy. And you're saying it's worse for the city in Jesus day that would simply not listen to the disciples talk about Jesus. That happens all the time here. Because, you know, really, when you think about it, and we need to recognize that sin is pretty level at the cross here. 
that the sin of indifference or apathy or not listening to the message of Jesus is really going to be the sin that's going to be eventually judged. You know, what's the greatest thing you can do for somebody? The greatest thing you can do for somebody is to love them. So if that be the greatest thing you can do for someone, what's the worst thing you could do for someone? Not love them. And all of us who choose not to love the one who made us and then died for us, offers us forgiveness for all the wrong that we have done, who promises us life and life that will last forever, who will give us direction in life, who will make us into the kind of people we were always intended to be, and we just turn away from that. We have committed the unpardonable sin. The sin of rejection of the message of Jesus Christ. And, and in that day, what he's saying, you have lived in the, the era when all this happened. Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the appearance of Jesus. It's going to be worse for these who experienced the presence of Jesus and were indifferent than even those who rebelled against God in this evil and wicked way. And of course, the lesson for us, even on a, on a personal level, we, we never want to be indifferent to the voice of God or apathetic to what he wants to say to us, or not listen intently what he wants to speak into our lives. And in the last lesson, learn that when you are under the influence, anything can happen. Now, I'm not going to read this section. It's kind of a graphic section in which basically Lot and his two daughters now, his wife is gone, his two daughters that were married, in Sodom, they're under the judgment of God, and, and now there's just the three of them. They are in a secluded place. His daughters are looking around, and, and they, they are really struggling because they're, they're thinking, you know, every eligible bachelor that I've known is now what? Dead. I'm looking around. There's nobody around to date. There's no one around not only to date or to mate. What are we going to do? our lives will be ended here. The only way for life to continue is if we were to give birth. So they, they take their, their, their dad, their father, and they get him drunk. And it says in the Scripture they get him so drunk that he doesn't even know what's going on. And both of them have children with, with Lot being the father. Now, again... The good news of the story is that Lot is called a righteous man in the New Testament after all these things happen. Now, how is anyone righteous? Not based on your own good deeds. It's on the grace of God and the payment of sin of Jesus on the cross. But the horrific news of this story is that Lot got so under the influence, he didn't have a clue as to what was going on. Now, there are varying degrees of being so under the influence, but what it means is, under the influence, is that you don't have full control of what's going on. You know, there's so many things that, you know, we can debrief about an election day uh, on November 6th. And sometimes we, we focus only on the, the top of the ticket, but there are a lot of things that went on last Tuesday. If you're living in Colorado in 
in Washington, now it is now legal, at least within your state. There's some federal law that they're going to have to figure out how they mesh with that. But it's now legal to uh, smoke marijuana recreationally. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go drive on that particular highway, those highways, you know, in a family vacation with as much confidence as I would if that law had not been passed. And see, that's that's what laws are for. It, it, it's not only to protect the individual, but it's also protect the society around it. And you don't have to go to a ultra conservative website to know the consequences or the repercussions of a person smoking marijuana. There's a lot of health issues. Uh, there are a number of uh, proponents of, of looking at the data and saying you're much, much more likely to get cancer than smoking tobacco. As it relates to your, your heart and to your lungs, all kinds of things mess up there. If you're going to have a child under the influence of marijuana, there's going to be some impacts on that child. But just the, just the impact it has in terms of people who might be behind the wheel. Marijuana brings hallucinations. It brings disorientation. It, it, it changes functions physically. And it's much harder to detect when a person gets pulled over where they've been on marijuana unless it's in the car uh, by taking some kind of easy test. And all, all we're saying here is, is that people need to make a choice as far as getting under the influence of anything that takes control. And all of us need to draw lines with things that are legal or illegal, the things that take control of who we are. The Bible's pretty plain. Do not get drunk with wine, which is just a waste, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible doesn't give a statement that alcohol should never be used, but it does say we should never be under its influence. And wherever that line needs to be drawn for you, that's something to consider because look at what happened to Lot. And this is the second time. Look what happened to Noah when a person gets under the influence. The good news is, is that God can rescue people from the slavery of any sin. And that's the good news. Lot to learn. The, 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 the thing we ought to learn is that we are called to be a people that that recognize there's only so much we can do on a human level to influence this world, but we can rescue people by recognizing our message is the message of what Jesus can do to save people from their sin. Secondly, we need to recognize that sin enslaves, and people are controlled by that. Thirdly, we need to recognize that, that for some, it's a joke, but judgment is coming. Fourthly, we need to recognize that even of, of all the sins, even the sin of indifference or apathy is a sin that Jesus needed to die for. And then fifthly, recognizing that we want to be under control of God's spirit and not anyone or anything else. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people who learn the lessons you want us to have in life. Not to be some kind of a self-righteous person, a person who sees themselves as holier than somebody else. But as a person who, who understands that you, you want us to experience life to its fullest by, be, by being obedient to the principles found in your word. Help us to recognize that the, the greatest 
The greatest thing that we can do for someone else is to love them and show them the love of Christ. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way, might they, might they recognize that Jesus came so that they might have life. That if we'll admit our need, uh, turn from our sin, believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again, and commit to follow him, then we can become a, a new creation in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that speaks into our lives, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing unto the Lord this morning.